As I thought this morning, what I'd like to speak on as I pray about every engagement, I decided to speak on something that every single one of us have to face, and sometimes, often, several times a week, and that is how to handle discouragement. And I want to speak from two Psalms in the Old Testament that were never meant to be divided. As we know, the scriptures are inspired and without error. The chapter headings are not. And sometimes those chapter divisions were put at a place that there was not the best place because these are two Psalms in the Old Testament that were never meant to be divided. And so to familiar yourself with the paragraph, would you turn with me to Psalm 42 or 43 or watch it on the screen as I read it to you. I'd like to just read these two chapters together, look at them together, read them as you follow me. So we familiarize ourselves with those two chapters, and they say a world of great stuff about how the hell discouragement. So allow me to begin reading a Psalm 42, verse 1, and follow me as I read. As a deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they continually say to me, where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast out on my soul? Why disquieteth in me? Hope in God, for I will yet praise him for his help of his countenance. O oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mazar. Deep calls in the deep of the noise of your water spouts. All your ways and builders have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast out on my soul? Why this quiet is within me? Hope in God, for I will yet praise him the help of my countenance and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and the unjust man. For you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then will I go to the altar of God to God my exceeding joy. Oh, in the harp where I praise you, oh God, my God. And could you join me in reading that last verse altogether? Join me if you would. And why are you cast down, oh my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. The few days prior to April the 27th, 1970, were two, three of the most proudest days America had ever faced. As some of you will remember, three men who finally honed technical ability, finally developed know-how, enabled them to be chosen for the Apollo 13 voyage to outer space, soon found themselves in great danger. Depending on limited supply of oxygen and other materials to meet their bodily needs, 
they were well aware of the fact that death could come at any moment. Millions of people across the world sat close to the radios than they ever sat before. Millions of others took close seats closer to TVs than they ever sat before. Because to every technician or common laborer, the coming moments were about to spell one of the biggest tragedies at that point America had ever faced, or one of the greatest triumphs America had ever known. But when those three men by the names of James Lavelle, Trent Hayes, and Jen Swiger finally stepped aboard Iwo Jima, those who held their breath in suspense were now able to breathe a sigh of relief. And at that time, many people asked their comments about the particular voyage, and the comments were many and varied. But one especially apt comment came from J. Leonard Swigert, the father of one of the astronauts. Because when he was asked how he felt about the particular voyage, he made the comment, It was a wonderful beginning and a beautiful landing. But I wouldn't give you two hoots for the interim. <laughs> if most of us were honest, we would admit that is precisely how we often feel about life. It can be a wonderful beginning and a beautiful landing. But we wouldn't give you two hoots for the interim. Because sometimes all life seems to be is one discouragement after another. In fact, there's a fable that says that Satan decided that he would go out of business. And so he put all of his tools up for sale. For the tool of pride, he asked for $100 because that was one of his most effective tools. For, tool of fit, for the tool of jealousy, he asked for $50. And for the tool of lust, he asked for a $20 bill. But when it came to the tool of discouragement, all the people noticed he had a sign that said, sorry, not for sale. And somebody got up enough nerve to go up to the devil and say to him, well, why is it? That tool is not for sale. He said, because I have found that is one tool I can use when nothing else seems to work. Well, in Psalm 42 and 43, you have a person who is having a life and death struggle with the problem of discouragement. And the reason is, that the place where God met with his people was at a sanctuary on Mount Zion. And there was always a multitude of people that would head up to that sanctuary. And it was one excited multitude. And the day the psalmist is discouraged because he cannot go. Now, I know what you're thinking. Larry, for crying out loud, that's a pretty tall, small thing to get discouraged about. But first of all, in that day, it was a momentous occasion. And secondly, even if it were a small thing, it's the small things of life that discourage you and me. Unexpected bill, an accident with the car, having an evening planned and somebody blows it, or a plan an entire weekend is not raining the entire week and it rains every cotton mick picking minute of the weekend. And we are discouraged. We're discouraged as a golfer who was out on the greens and he was very discouraged with his golf game. And he said to his friend, I would move heaven and earth if I could play par golf. And his friend said to him, well, you better move heaven. You've already moved a lot of earth. <laughs> And so for that reason, you have a man who's having a life that struggle with the problem of discouragement. Nine times in these two psalms, he asks the only question an aching heart can ask, why, God, why? And the picture you have is that near eastern mortar with his head between his knees. And he's saying what you and I say. Sometimes I wonder if life is worth living. Why did God ever make me? Why don't other people have the same problems I do? 
He compares his situation to a deer trying to find water in the midst of a drought. He said in verses 1 and 2, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And there are two things adding to discouragement that every single one of us will be able to identify with. The first thing is, his physical food no longer does anything for him. Tears have now become his diet day and night. Notice it says, my tears have been my food day and night. They continually say to me, where is your God? Going to Spring Creek Barbecue doesn't help. Stopping by Wendy's is of no benefit. Instead, tears have now become his diet day and night. And the second thing that is good as his discouragement is his memories of the past. Because he thinks of all the time before when he could be with that multitude. And today he can't. That's why he says in verse 4, When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them, the house of God, the voice of joy and praise. With the multitude, I kept the pilgrim feast. And when he thinks of all the time before when he could go, and the fact that now he can't, all it does is add to discouragement. And the fact is, his physical food no longer does anything for him. His memories of the past just add discouragement. As he's resting with that discouragement, God gives him the answer in three words, and he repeats those three words three times. And those three words are hope in God. One time a mother was asked the question, why do you tell your child the same thing 20 times? And she said, because I found 19 just doesn't do it. <laughs> and the reason God repeats it three times, he figured two times would not be enough. So three times he says, hope in God. Notice verse 5 says, Why are you cast out on my soul? Why is quiet within me? Hope in God. In verse 11 he says, Why are you cast out on my soul? Why is quiet within me? Hope in God. He says in verse 5 of chapter 43, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. In three words, he says, hope in God. What's the answer to discouragement in three words? What is it? Hope in God. What is it? Hope in God. What is it? Hope in God. But now the psalmist realizes we're thinking, but how do you do that? How do you hope in God in the midst of a discouraging situation? And the interesting thing is, he doesn't tell you. He tells you what he did. But it stands to reason if we do what he did, then we will be a victor and not a victim of discouragement. So God through the psalmist tells us to do three things. And I love how practical these are. And as my own dear wife will tell you, I love practicality. I love the story of the woman who said to her husband, you are so pathetic. You cannot sew. You cannot iron. You cannot wash. You cannot cook. Now take our neighbor Sue. She's taught her husband Frank how to do everything. He can sew, he can iron, he can wash, he can cook. So if anything happened to Sue, Frank be okay. What would you do if something happened to me? And he looked at her, he said, I'd move in with Frank. <laughs> and I love that kind of practicality. And he makes these three things so practical that every one of us can identify with them. Now notice, the first thing he says is, Turn your thoughts off yourself and turn your thoughts to God. The first thing he says is turn your thoughts off yourself and turn yourself to your thoughts to God. 
He says in verse 6, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, hills Mazar, deep caused in the deep at the noise of your, of, at the noise of your wonderful. You see, the thing is, he's defeated. He's de- rejected. He feels like he's lost the will to fight. And although in some ways he feels forsaken by God, he also realizes the thing he needs to do most is turn his thoughts to God. And therefore, in that East Jordan region, region, where the peak of the Hermon towers above the landscape, near to a mountain called Mazar, he does just that. He turns his thoughts off himself, and he turns his thoughts to God. And bear in mind, it was no easier for him than it would be for any one of us. Because on a normal day, he'd look at the waterfalls, and they would inspire him. Now he looks at the waterfalls, he seems like all that water is going to come right over him and bring a lot more problems as it does. And that's why he says in verse 7, Deep causing deep and noisy waterfowls, all your waves and billows have gone over me. I mean, this person is more discouraged than a centipede who's had an athlete's foot. I mean, this person is discouraged. He reminds you of the man learning how to parachute. The instructor said to him that when you jump from the plane, pull cord number one. If nothing happens, pull cord number two. There'll be a truck waiting below to bring you back to the base. The man parachuted. He pulled cord number one, nothing happened. He pulled cord number two, nothing happened. He said, just what I thought. And I bet you any money, that truck won't be down there to take me back to the base either. (laughs) One time a couple said they went on vacation and it rained so much every day they felt like they spent two weeks in a car wash. This fellow's as discouraged as someone who spends two weeks in a car wash. But he knows what he can, wants to do least, what he needs to do most. Turn his thoughts off himself and turn his thoughts to God. And many times were discouraged for the same reason Elijah was in 1 Kings 19. He felt he was the only one living for God anymore. And if we are discouraged because we have migraine headaches, it doesn't dawn on us. One million people in the United States today have migraine headaches. If we're discouraged because of accident with their car, it doesn't even dawn on us. The two million people in the world had accidents with their car today. If we are discouraged because of children not walking with the Lord like we had hoped, it doesn't dawn on us that three million families have family conflicts today. All we're thinking of is the fact that we have them. And that's why he says, turn your thoughts off yourself, turn your thoughts to God. One time there's a doctor who asked everyone he knew was discouraged to come to his office. And when he came at them, all stand in one big circle. They said to the first person, I want you to take the problems of person number two. Person number two, I want you to take the problems of person number three. Person number three, I want you to take the problems of person number four. After looking at the problems of the other people, they were delighted to keep their own. <laughs> and it's the same principle here. Turn your thoughts off yourself and turn your thoughts to God. And Isaiah 26.3 says, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. That's what Jonah did when he found himself with what some people call a whale of a problem. <laughs> the Bible says, when my soul fainted within me, then remember I the Lord. And the first thing he's saying is, turn your thoughts off yourself 
and turn your thoughts to God. I loved reading the story of a ship that was out in the sea and having a rough time. Everybody seemed upset except the young boy. So he said to them, why are you not concerned? And he said, I've not been thinking of the storm. I've been thinking of the one who's at the helm. One at the helm was that boy's own father. What he's saying is, your father's at the helm of the ship of your life. Turn your thoughts off yourself and turn your thoughts to God. But then he's going to mention the second thing. And this is so simple, but something we so many times overlook. And the second thing is, remember, after a day of discouragement, there always comes a night of thanksgiving. After a day of discouragement, there always comes a night of thanksgiving. Look what he says in verse 8. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. In the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. You see, days of discouragement have one thing in common. With days of happiness, gleefulness, prosperity. And that is, they don't last forever. Instead, after day of discouragement, there always comes a night of thanksgiving when we will offer what's called praiseful prayer. That's what that word prayer means. Praiseful prayer to God for the experience you've gone through. A person at the University of Pennsylvania made a study of depressed people. He found out that one common fact of depressed people is to look at that one moment and they say there's no way out. What the psalmist is saying is, not only don't get hung up on yourself, don't get hung up on that one moment. That is one minute out of 60. That is one hour out of 24. That's one day out of seven. That's one week out of 52. That's one month out of 12. And after the day of discouragement, there always comes a night of thanksgiving where you offer prayerful prayer to God the experience you've gone through. In traveling for 45 years, over 60 foreign locations, almost every state of the nation, I cannot even tell you how many people I have had say to me, I would not want to go through that again. But I don't regret I went through it when I did. And I offer prayerful prayer to God for the experience they've gone through because after the day of discouragement, there always comes a night of thanksgiving. A day of discouragement have one thing in common with days of prosperity. They don't last forever. After a day of discouragement, there always comes a night of thanksgiving. We offer praise for prayer to God the experience you've gone through. One time a Sunday school teacher was teaching that story in the Old Testament where Abraham was told to sacrifice his son Isaac. And so he's at that part where Isaac was on the altar. Abraham was about to take his knife and stick into his son. One boy said, now wait a minute. Don't finish that story. It must have an ugly ending. And one young girl in the Sunday school class spoke up. She said, now wait a minute. That's one of God's stories. If it's one of his stories, it's got to end right. <laughs> he's saying you're one of God's stories. His stories always end right. Because he's too loving to do you wrong. He's too wise to make a mistake. And therefore, after that discouragement, always come the night of Thanksgiving when you offer praise for prayer to God the experience you've gone through. But as you notice, the psalmist does not hide his feelings. What bothers him the most is when people are mocking him out and treating him like he's been forsaken by God. That's why he says in verse 9, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I mourning cause the oppression of the enemies? 
as with a breaking in my bones, my enemies reproach me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? And as he's thinking about that, God gives him the third thing he needs to do. First of all, he says, turn your thoughts off yourself, turn your thoughts to God. Secondly, he says, always remember, after the day of discouragement, there will always come not a thanksgiving. We offer praise for prayer to God, the experience you've gone through. And the third thing he says is, pray. Someone made the comment, discouragement should not get you down except on your knees. Now, bear in mind, though, he's not talking about any old prayer. Someone, one time a family asked their son, asked the blessing on the meal. The son bowed his head and said, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. <laughs> That's not the kind of prayer he means. He means very specific prayer where he asked God for two things. First of all, he says, you plead my case. Look what he said in verse, chapter 43, verse 1. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against ungodly nation. Now, when it says vindicate and plead, it means you plead my case. You know my situation. You know me. You know my circumstances. You plead my case. And the way someone would put his situation in the hands of the defense attorney, he turns his old situation over God. He says, you plead my case. You know those responsible for my discouragement. You know my circumstances. You know me. You plead my case. And he turns the whole situation over to God and lets him have it. Because he realized there's no better defense attorney than God himself. And so many times when we are discouraged, it's because we feel like somebody's done us wrong. And many times that's the case. The problem is we just can't put it in God's hands. We're like the boy who is so afraid to go to bed during a thunderstorm. One day his mother said, now this is ridiculous. Go upstairs, go to bed, God will take care of you. And the boy says to his mom, yeah, but it seems to me, he could take a lot better care of us if we were all down here together than if he had to run up to my room. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, many times we are the same way. We can't put in God's hands. If a neighbor's responsible for discouragement, strike back at the neighbor. If an employer's responsible for discouragement, we strike back at the employer. If the government's responsible for discouragement, we strike back at the government. And what he's saying is, let God plead your case. And you've never met a better defense attorney. And even if vengeance needs to be rendered out, what does the Bible say? Vengeance is mine, I will repay. He's saying you have to let God plead your case, put the station in your hands. You come to the point saying, God, this is your problem. These are my circumstances. You know me. You know my situation. I'm putting the whole thing into your hands. This is your problem. It's no longer mine. You plead my case. One time, Robert Louis Stevenson tore the ship, approaching a rocky coast, and all the passengers were afraid it was about to be split into pieces. And one man was stumbling as the ship was rocking made his way up the head where the captain was. And he saw the captain look over his shoulders and smile at him. He returned to the pastor and he says, all is well. I've seen the pilot. He smiled at me. He was saying the pilot is our refuge. God's saying, your neighbor might not be your refuge. Your employer might not be your refuge. Your paycheck may not be your refuge. 
your mate not might be your refuge. Your family may not be your refuge. God is your refuge. Therefore, you say, God, you plead my case. I'm putting this in your hands. Wherever somebody's been done wrong, God will take care of that wrong in time. He says, you plead my case. But then he says something that is just as interesting, and that is, give me understanding. Notice what he says there in chapter 43, verse 3. Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. When those two words, light and truth, are used together in the Hebrew language, they mean, God, help me understand why you've been loving and let me go through this. God, help me understand how you've been merciful in allowing me to endure this. God, help me understand why you've been holy and just in what you've done. God, give me understanding. It's interesting to me, when you go to James 1, James says when you go through trials, you ask God for wisdom. Ask him for the ability to see it from his perspective. He says the same thing in discouragement. God, give me understanding. Help me understand how you've been merciful in letting me go through this. Help me understand how much you love me and letting me endure this. Help me to see it from your perspective. Give me light and truth. God, give me understanding. You see, what's exciting is the psalmist has now crawled on top of his discouragement. He wants to go with the multitude of that sanctuary. But when he goes, he wants it to be because God took him there. And that's why he says in verse 4, Then will I go to the altar of God, to God my sing joy, on the harp where I praise you, O God my God. And he's crawled on top of his discouragement. He's saying, pray God, give me understanding. Help me to see your mercy like I've never seen it before. Help me to see your goodness like I've never seen it before. Help me understand how you've been faithful to your promises. No promises have been broken by allowing me to go through this. God, give me understanding. And when you see that, you say, as it said in First Chronicles, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. I read this story recently of a minister, had a very effective ministry, became ill with a very serious disease and was not even expected to live, brought back from the edge of death. But at the same time, the doctor told him it'll be a minimum of one year before you're ever back in the pulpit again. And someone said to him, I get you're discouraged. He looked and he said, not in the least. Because this experience has taught me more about God than I ever learned in eight years of theological schooling. He's saying, give me understanding. And when you start to see things from God's perspective, you're saying, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. See, what's exciting to me, years ago before we ever faced the problem, God solved it. Because although you cannot help what happens to you, you can help what you do about it. And he says, when it comes to discouragement, always remember three words. What are those three words? Hope in God. What are they? Hope in God. How do you do that? First of all, turn your thoughts off yourself. Turn your thoughts to God. Secondly, remember, after the day of discouragement, always comes the night of Thanksgiving. When you offer praiseful prayer to God, the experience you've gone through. And thirdly, pray. Say, God, you plead my case. And you give me understanding. 
And with that in mind, I gave you a thought there at the bottom that I want you to concentrate on throughout the day. And that is, those whose lives turn out the best are those who make the best the way life turns out. Those whose lives turn out the best are those who make the best the way lives turn out. You know why? It all comes back to three things, three words. What are the three words? Hope in God. What do you do when you're discouraged? Hope in God. How do you do that? First of all, turn your thoughts off who? Yourself. And turn your thoughts to who? God. Secondly, remember, after a day of discouragement, there always comes what? A night of thanksgiving. Third thing he says is what? Pray. What do you ask God for? You do what? Plead my case. And secondly, you do what? Give me understanding. Having all that come together, you say, great is the Lord, great to be praised. If you are discouraged on tomorrow, what are the three words to keep in mind? Hope in God. If you're discouraged on Tuesday, what are the three words to keep in mind? Hope in God. If you're discouraged on Wednesday, what are the three words to keep in mind? Hope in God. If you're discouraged on Thursday, what are the three words to keep in mind? Hope in God. I hate repetition. What are your three words to keep in mind? Hope in God. And just like the psalmist, you're crawling on top of the discouragement and you're being controlled of it. Is it a bit being control of you? As you all well know, Danny Crosby was a person who wrote so many of our favorite gospel songs. But as you also probably know, six weeks after she was born, a doctor treated her, became very careless, and she became totally, permanently, completely blind. But by six weeks, she has seen a whole lot. The smile of her mother, seeing the warm embrace of her father, her surroundings, her toys, wildlife, everything. And so therefore, as you read her biography, as she developed in her childhood, she had to wrestle with discouragement because she was not born blind. She became blind. And much to her credit, at age eight, she wrestled above that battle and she wrote the words, Oh, what a happy soul am I, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. Praise the Savior, you who know him. With God, you can handle discouragement. Don't forget three words. What are they? Hope in God. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, we thank you for being so kind that before we ever face the problem, you told us how to solve it. And sometimes we get so complicated and you make things so simple. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. You might help us always go back to those three simple words, hope in God. But Lord, thank you for being so concerned and so loving to tell us how to do that. You get down there with the shoes holes the sidewalk and you tell us how to do it. Lord, I pray every one of us might be a better person as a result this morning. Lord, I pray in particular, if there's anyone here who does not know for sure if they were died, they'd go to heaven. They might see me or Taylor, Ryan, or one of us here before they leave. So we could help them come to that place of certainty. 
because there's nothing worse than not knowing you're going to heaven. Nothing better than knowing. And thank for that day that one day will be before you face to face. Those who have trusted you as Savior and be forever in the presence of the King. As your word says, you'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. No more discouragement, ever. But until then, thank you we can control it. Not let it control us. For we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you.